Hello and welcome to today's edition of Family Life Today, hosted by Dave and Ann Wilson with Bob Lapine. Family Life Today is presented by Power to Change, known in the US as Family Life. We hope the program will encourage you in your most important relationships. I tell people that I'm not a person where God opens the door and says, come this way, and I go. You know, when God tries to lead me in directions, I tend to be the person who says, oh, I'm not ready for that, God. I'll get around to it eventually. So then he opens a window and says, come on, through the window then. Through and the window. I still don't go. So he then picks me up and shoves me through the window with me <laughs> kicking and screaming. And that's kind of how I ended up working in foster care and adoption. Welcome to Family Life Today, where we want to help you pursue the relationships that matter most. I'm Ann Wilson. And I'm Dave Wilson, and you can find us at FamilyLifeToday.com or on our Family Life app. This is Family Life Today. So we had an interesting lunch today, didn't we? It was really fun, wasn't it? I thought it was so fun. Why is that? Because we have two guests with us today that are friends and have been friends for a while. They've co-authored books together. They've lived life together, celebrated each other, mourned with one another, and they are amazing women that have remarkable stories. Yeah, and I don't think our listeners always know. We usually have lunch with our guests before we come in here in the studio, yeah. and partly to get to know one another. All I know is this lunch, I hardly said a word. <laughs> These three women talked. You guys act like your best friends already. Because they're so interesting and amazing. Well, tell them who's, and who's with us. we think that all of our listeners, especially women... You could just pull up your chair or kind of have your headphones in because this is something I think that will inspire you. Their friendship, their lives, their faith is something that I think we can all learn from. Yeah, and here's the thing. We've got Dr. Beth uh, Robinson with us and Dr. Latane Scott with us. And we decided after hearing your stories at lunch, let's just do a... Uh, a program on your life. Mm-hmm. I mean, Dr. Beth, one of the things I, we found out right away is you teach at, uh, is it called Lubbock Christian? Lubbock Christian University. Been yeah. there, I think this is 28 years. 28 years. And what do yeah. you teach? Undergrad psychology, general psychology most of the time. And I don't know for sure, but based on what I could tell at lunch, you're that teacher. Am I right that every kid wants to be in your class? I want to be in her class (laughs) just by listening to her. And what we thought was interesting, where a lot of teachers will say, put your devices away. You don't do that, Beth. No, I don't. When they come to my class, you know, a lot of different professors have syllabi that say, don't use your technology or put your phones away. And so I'll have students, because it's not my syllabus, they'll raise their hand and say, what's your policy about phones? And I'll say, well, you've paid couple thousand dollars sometimes for that learning and educational device. My recommendation is you use it and you use it in class. This reminds me of Dave because as a preacher, he would say, if the people in the pews are asleep, wake Wake up up the the preacher. preacher. (laughs) You know, psychology is easy to teach. You know, it's about how you interact with people. So I think I have great material to work with as a teacher. I, I don't know that it's about the teacher so much as it is the material. But I love doing what I'm doing, and it's what I want to do is Mm. be there in front of freshmen. 
That's really yeah. Fun. And so you two are re- really good friends, although you don't spend a lot of time together. But uh, Dr. Latain, you've also got your PhD in biblical studies. Yes, that's right. So I mean, that sort of came out at lunch as well. She's like a biblical scholar over here. Very understated, and, and author, but it's author of more than two dozen books. Yes. yes. Yeah, and again, we would never know that. She would never tell us that. And we want to get into your story, but listening to you was a little bit like our producer, Jim Mitchell, said. It was something that took place in Mark 12. We use this to set up today, where Jesus sort of uh, draws attention to something he noticed, and he wanted to make sure that the disciples saw it as well. And I, 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 can always I think Im- that's what we're doing right now. I can always imagine in this scripture Jesus calling his disciples, like, guys, come here. Mm-hmm. I want you to see this. Come and look at this. Yeah, uh, Mark 12, verse 41 says, Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. Jesus literally pulls them over and says, I want you to know something. Now watch this and let me tell you what's happening. And as we were sitting at lunch, that was the sense we had. It was sort of like this holy moment. I know you didn't come in there thinking you're creating a holy moment. It was like, wow, you women... You've written books, and we're going to talk about that, but there's so much deeper that's going on in your life that we thought we need our listeners to hear. And I think we as women can often think, does our life matter? Am I doing anything? Do I have the gifts and passions that maybe my friend has or she seems to have so much? We can get so lost in comparison, especially with social media today. We can feel alone and forgotten unseen, unheard. And yet, as we were listening to your stories, I was so inspired because you are like the widow in all the things that you have, all your gifts, all your talents, all your passions. You've put them in the offering bucket mm-hmm. and said, God, use whatever I have for your kingdom and for your glory to impact people. So let's get into it. Like Beth, tell us about you have had how many children through foster care. Fifteen have come through my home, and uh, a few of them have become permanent. My ministry is very much about foster care and adoption. I have been doing this work, um, this is actually 30 years, doing counseling. My counseling practice is almost all foster and adoption kids. How did that start? Like, where did this love for fostering come from? You know, I, I tell people that I'm not a person where God opens the door and says, come this way, and I go. You know, when God tries to lead me in directions, I tend to be the person who says, oh, I'm not ready for that, God. I'll get around to it eventually. So then he opens a window and says, come on, through the window then. Through and the window. I still don't go. So he then picks me up and shoves me through the window with me <laughs> kicking and screaming. And that's kind of how I ended up working in foster care and adoption. And you've never been married? Never been married. Yeah. No. Single. And really don't feel a huge sense of loss by not being married because I have been so involved in my ministry. Mm. I mean, I never rule out the possibility I could still get married. Yeah. I believe if it is um, 
somebody who helps me get to heaven, God will put that person in my life. Mm. Which I, is a great perspective and unusual, honestly, for a single person because a lot of times that can become the sole goal and we miss out on so much. Well, I think God just pulled me into working with kids so much. I started out as a basketball coach. Hmm. And I could tell that. <laughs> yeah, that sort of fits the demographic. What do you, what do you mean you I started out? I was a PE out? major. That's what I was going to do. I was, I was actually a PE major hmm. as well. And I got accepted to med school and walked away to go coach basketball. Two weeks before I started med school, my parents <laughs> did not in their lifetime ever let that go. Yeah. I will say that. <laughs> and uh, went and coached basketball. And I figured out real quickly that I loved the kids more than the sport Mm. and then ended up teaching high school English and journalism. My principal recruited me to be a counselor. It was not a vision I had, a leading I felt at any point in my life. But he said, you have been so effective with these kids that were emotionally disturbed. We would like for you to become our school counselor. So I go back to do that. And my last internship I had to do in the summer And I was working at a shelter for kids removed by Child Protective Services in Texas. Very behaviorally dysregulated kids, suicidal, homicidal, sexually offending kids. Mm. And fell in love with it. So amazing. Because a lot of people would be like, I ran as far away from that (laughs) as I could go. And you fell in love with it. I fell in love with it. And that's what I've been doing ever since then. I mean, Latane, you know her. Why do you think she's good at that? Why would she fall in love with it? Uh, Because she cares about people at a real deep level. And for all her bravado and braggadocio and all this, she has a very tender heart, but don't tell anybody. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, obviously at lunch we're we're feeling that, you know. (laughs) Talk about this. You bought a church and turned it into a house. Yes. What's that all about? Well, I needed space. Well, a lot of people need space. They don't go by a church. (laughs) (laughs) I I needed space, and frankly, because I work in private higher education and nonprofits, there's not a lot of income, so I had to be creative. And the church was $35,000, and I could afford that, and it was enough space. And so remodeled the church uh, because at that point had four foster kids. All of them were under five, I think, at the time. And you're loving these kids, but you've also become quite an expert of knowing how to care for, identify, and even help the needs of your kids. How did you learn so much about that? You know, life experience. You spend 30 years and you're really committed to trying to figure out what's going on with a kid when somebody else isn't. I don't want a kid to fall through the cracks because we missed something. I spend a lot of time reading up with different kids and noticing what's going on. So my practice is those foster kids trying to make sure that we get them the services they need so they can be taken care of and heal and move on. Hmm. Latane, let's talk to you a little bit. You have an interesting background. You are a Mormon. Share a little bit of that story with us. I was the happiest Mormon ever. I just loved the Mormon church. I went on scholarship to Brigham Young University and was waiting for a missionary that was in Germany. I was so happy being a Mormon. And I came home to my home in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and met this young man that my mother really wanted me to meet. He was from Tennessee. My mom and dad were from Tennessee. And she wanted to get me away from the Mormon church. She never was Mormon. 
No. She wasn't Mormon. No, no. My dad was Mormon, but my mom wasn't. And what did you love about the Mormon faith? Oh, the sense of community, the sense of um, purpose, the sense of, and I, I say this in a good way, exclusivity, that we knew things that other people didn't know. We were willing to share it, but we did know things that people needed to know. Just the sense of history, uh, resilience against persecution, all of those things. I loved it very deeply. But your mom is a little afraid for you, so mm-hmm. she sets you up with this guy from Tennessee. Yes, Dan Scott, little Danny Scott from Trezvant, Tennessee. I only go out with him because my mom made me, and he only <laughs> asked me because he worked with my mom, and he had to put up with her. And our first date was such a disaster. It was, it was horrible because he tried to kiss a Mormon girl on the first date, and you do not do that. And we only went out again the second time just to placate my mom, and we found out that we enjoyed each other's company. But here I was going back from my senior year at BYU on scholarship, and he He's a member of the Church of Christ, which is quite straight arrow biblical group. And we began realizing that a relationship couldn't go any further when we had such different views, not only of church and family, but of God himself. Hmm. And um, I spent the worst summer of my life that summer after I met him. Because his brother-in-law gave me books on Mormonism. Dan didn't know anything about Mormonism, but his brother, who was a minister, did. And it just made me sick. I mean, um, Charles Spurgeon said it. There is no loss as great as losing your God. And I say to people, what if you woke up tomorrow morning and found out the God you've served your whole life doesn't exist? Mm-hmm. You wouldn't feel liberated or free or anything else. You'd feel sick. You'd mourn. Yeah. It, it was devastating to me. And yet these books that you're reading, you're believing yes. what they're saying. Because the, from, they're from the Bible. I could yeah. see that even though I had been very uh, schooled in the Bible from the Mormon point of view, there were scriptures in there that I just hadn't given much attention to or, or had kind of passed over. So I say that I capitulated to a vanquishing Jesus Christ, but that didn't necessarily mean I had to like him. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? I mean, he conquered me, and I gave up. I was baptized. I surrendered. But I spent the next 10 years even writing about why I left the Mormon church from a doctrinal point of view before I would say I really had a bone-deep relationship with Jesus Christ, and that's endured for the rest of my life. Mm. It's beautiful. The part that she didn't tell about this story is, how old were you when that first book was published? I was 29. And how old were your kids? Ryan was six and Celeste was four. She wrote that first book, being that young and watching those kids. What was the name of that book? The Mormon Mirage was published by Zondervan. Mm. Um, They asked me about 10 or 12 years ago to update it because... Mormon doctrine has changed so radically that from the time I left the Mormon church until now, it's hardly recognizable. There's so many things that have happened in the Mormon church I never would have dreamed would have happened. Mm. It's a morphing religion. Mm. It really is. Yeah, and you told us at lunch about your relationship with your husband in the last few years. Talk about what that's been like. Well, Dan was not a theologian. He was a faithful Christian, but he called my writing the habit that he supported. We had a a very comfortable life, and I was able to get my Ph.D. in in biblical studies and to write books. But about 10 years ago, he had his second case of a disease called Guillain-Barre syndrome. And this one put him in a coma for months and months. He was intubated. I mean, I didn't hear his voice or see his eyes for months. And when he came out of that coma, he was a paraplegic, a quadriplegic, actually. I cared for him at home for a year after that while I was working. But... Um, By that time, I was 60, and so, you know, you don't 
you can't do that forever. And um, he went into assisted living and finally into nursing care. And in the process of this, um, we lost everything financially. His his medical bills were over $6 million. But this was the great opportunity to do two things I've always wanted to do in my life. And one of them was to prove my faith. First Peter says that your, your faith is worth more than silver and gold. And we undergo trials so that we can prove that. And I would remind myself of this. I get to prove faith in this. And also, I got to see uh, what a local church does Mm. to help support someone who is really in trouble. And my church was extraordinary in helping me. I mean, one of my books that I wrote on uh, with, with a co-author, we signed the contract of the book literally over Dan's intubated body. We shake hands. And I wrote that entire book on discovering the city of Sodom on hospital side tables and in the front seat of my car while friends of mine from church would come in and sit with Dan because none of us wanted him to wake up and be alone. Oh. So we didn't know when he was going to wake up, and it was months. Mm-hmm. But um, I was able to, with the help of this church and with my m- mom and my brother and others who supported me financially, and we ended up losing everything. But guess what? We, had, we were completely provided for. I never did without a meal. I never missed a payment. I came out of this with a good credit rating. Uh, you, you know, you can lose everything and still have a credit rating, by the way. <laughs> but I got to see what the church is supposed to do. It's supposed mm-hmm. to rise up triumphant and care for one another. And it was beautiful. And the Mountainside Church of Christ in Albuquerque, New Mexico, I salute you because you took care of me. Mm-hmm. And wow. now that my husband uh, is gone, he passed away about a year ago. The authority of those elders of that church are now my protectors and my my helpers, too. Mm. And Dan and I often talked about it. His catastrophic illness was the best thing that ever happened to us because we got to prove our faith. Uh. We got to show that it really stands and you can do this. You can lose everything. You can lose your health. Well, we didn't lose our reputations. But you can lose things that most people think are important. And if you have the Lord, nothing else matters. Well done. Like it's easy um, to have our eyes on ourselves. Mm. We take our eyes off of Jesus in the midst of our pain because we can barely catch a breath. Mm-hmm. And yet you loved him well to the very end and brought glory to Jesus through your servant's heart. And you're not bitter or mad that you have lost everything. No, but you see no. the provision of God yes. and your friends in the midst of it. You know, unless it's really dark, you can't see the light that's so clearly right. Mm. And I uh, know I got to see things that I and experience things I never would have gotten to see or know. And I have to give credit to Dr. Beth. She was a great help to me through that because she would tell me, you can't do this, and you need to stop doing this. Or, or that's a good yeah. friend. Yeah. I was going to ask you, Beth, you watched this go on what what was your perspective she was very faithful Mm -hmm. she writes about the phases of faith that god gives us promises and we often experience contradictions before there's a resolution and we lose faith in the contradictions because we don't understand that the contradictions build the faith Mm -hmm. but it broke my heart yeah There, there were lots of mornings when there were phone calls and she was struggling and it was hard to hear you've had your own share of grief You've lost your mom. You've lost a son. One of the kids that I helped raise, I lost him about six years ago. My dad, six years ago. My mom this May, May the 21st. But I was blessed with my parents. And I got to go help take care of my parents. I got to go. Mm -hmm. Yes. I wanted to give back to people who'd given me so much. When you have extraordinary parents, how can you not honor them? 
how can you not go every chance you get to try to make sure that they're well cared for and that they know that they're loved? Hmm. Talk to our listeners about being a woman who gives Jesus everything. Like all of your gifts, it's like the widow giving her last mite. Why is that important to do? I don't know that I even realized I did that. Yeah, <laughs> That's unusual to hear that from your perspective. Yeah, it's just, it's just what you do. If I had a message about giving Jesus everything, it's that's what Christians do. I mean, when you're buried in baptism, you come out a new creature, right? And you're, you've put the old life behind. And when you take up a cross, you're agreeing to die for him. Why should it be so hard to live for him? I mean, your life is not yours. As it says, you know, you were bought with a price. Your life isn't your own. And so, and it, it hasn't been a drudgery for you two. No, no, it's no. been a joy for you, hasn't it? Well, I get to do what I like to do, and she gets to do what she likes to do. I think we can. <laughs> I have always prayed that God would use me as a servant, and I really have prayed since the loss of my mother about where this next stage of my life is going to go mm. because I don't know where it's going to go. I just want to be used. Yeah. I want to be used up. I don't want to rust out. Yes, mm-hmm. me too. I think that was has been my most important prayer over the years. It started when I was 18. I said, Jesus, I'll do anything for you. I'll go anywhere. I'll say anything. I'll live for you for the rest of my life. And I've said that continually to him. And I'm telling you, when you pray that prayer, it's as if he's shaking his head like get ready girl he takes you up on that he does he He has so much for us and i don't i can see that you're like this i don't want to miss it i don't want to miss anything and it's not easy it's not always easy Mm -hmm. but it is good to be in the center of what god has for you and i'll say this as being the only uh male in the room and the only you know as jim and i sat there at lunch with you three ladies including Anne, my wife that's what I think struck me is you are saints who are. No, don't say saints. I'm talking the way yeah. Paul and Peter wrote. You know, anybody's in Christ yeah. is a saint in yeah. Christ Jesus. So I don't mean you're above anybody else, but it's like you're serving. You're. I mean, whenever just hearing your stories, you know, the ones you've taken in, the books and the things you've done. It's almost like it's sort of unseen sort of behind the scenes and yet you know the widow's might is jesus sees mm-hmm. and he sees you including Anne. and as a man sitting there i was like wow these are incredible women that aren't like up here above everybody like flashy showy look at what i'm doing but you're serving in just a beautiful way just like latane said and you're giving your life away and in that finding yourself and i think there's so many listeners that are like you they're serving Mm-hmm. Maybe you wonder, does anybody see? Jesus sees. Mm-hmm. And I think there's men like me that see. And I just want to say to you and to any woman listening that feels like your life is just the unseen, it isn't. God is using you just like he's using wants to use you. you three powerful women in mm-hmm. a powerful way. And it's sort of like from me to you, thank you. Mm-hmm. Thank you for what you're doing. I thank you, too. You're welcome. to thank Dave and Ann Wilson along with Bob Lapine and their team for another edition of Family Life Today. 
Although our programs are produced in America, the issues facing families like forgiveness, communication and taking care of our kids transcend national borders. These issues profoundly affect relationships everywhere. In Australia, family life is known as power to change and our mission is to effectively develop godly families, the kind of families that change the world one home at a time. A key part of our mission includes strengthening marriages and families all around the world. We want to do whatever we can to bring timeless truths to the challenges you face as you seek to strengthen your family and join us in changing the world. If you would like to purchase the CD of today's program, email us at radio at powertochange.org.au or go to the podcast section of our website, families.powertochange.org.au, where you'll find lots of information, news and resources. You're invited back tomorrow at the same time for another Family Life Today presented by Power to Change in conjunction with this radio station.